Welcome to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. We are the Soto Brothers. I am Samuel Soto, Doctor of Physical Therapy. And I am Joseph Soto, a physician. Together, we are board-certified medical providers who specialize in internal medicine and physical therapy. Our mission is to promote longevity, health span, and wellness in order to prevent illness and injury so we can optimize the human experience. Any information on diseases and treatments available at this channel is intended for general guidance only and must never be considered a substitute for advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with questions you may have regarding your medical condition. to our podcast, the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. We have a very, very, very interesting podcast today where we, we will be talking about blood work. We're going to be reviewing blood work. We're going to be talking about all the different tests that we have available to test for your, your risk of developing different diseases, such as heart disease, cancer, obesity, and etc. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Dr. Joseph Soto, and I'm an internal medicine board certified physician. And I will be co-hosting this episode with my brother, who, who will introduce himself shortly. But before I continue, I just want to give a disclaimer. So any information on diseases and treatments available at this channel is intended for general guidance only and must never be considered a substitute for advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with questions you may have regarding your medical condition. So with that being out the way, let me formally introduce my co-host, Dr. Samuel Soto. Hello, thank you, Joe. Um, thank you all for listening to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast and for being here today. This is a special episode because number one, it's our first video podcast and we're gonna be uploading this on YouTube. So we're really excited to uh, for everybody to see our faces. And uh, for those of you who have been listening to our podcast since the beginning, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And uh, we will also continue to post audio podcasts on Google, Amazon, Apple, etc. So I am Dr. Samuel Soto. I'm a physical therapist. And um, today we're going to be talking about how to read your blood test results and the benefits of getting blood work. And luckily, we have my brother, Dr. Joseph Soto, who, like he said, specializes in primary care. So this is something he does on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're going to get some insight on, on um, how to basically read blood work, what are the important things to look out for, what are some of the common myths regarding some of the markers that we see there. And uh, we're going to be talking about how often we should get blood work and um, you know, just everything about lab results. So I want to also be very transparent with my results. I'm going to be showing you guys, you know, here I'm going to be screen sharing, as you can see, uh, my, my, my lab results from Quest Diagnostics that I did uh, two years ago in 2020. And also be comparing that to my lab results from about three days ago. Two very different looking results, two very different diets. 
And diet is something that we're going to get into today because two years ago in 2020, I was consuming um, a lot of seed oils. You know, I was eating chips. I was eating, um, you know, I was using vegetable oil because I thought it was healthy. Uh, little did I know the damage I was causing. And I was eating sugars and, you know, I wouldn't say I was unhealthy by any means, you know, but I wouldn't say I was the most optimal version of myself like I am now. So two years ago, you know, it was during the pandemic. I was in physical therapy school. Um, I wasn't taking care of myself as, as well as I wanted to. And now I am. So it's going to be an interesting comparison. And I'm very excited for this episode. So let's begin here, Joseph. So as you guys can see on my screen, we're going to start with vitamin D. Dr. Joseph, what is vitamin D? Why is it important? And it looks like it's a little bit low from two years ago. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so let's get right into it. So vitamin D. So we all have heard about vitamin D, especially during the pandemic. Uh, it became a very important topic because we started noticing that patients who had COVID tended to have low vitamin D levels. So we started asking the question, could vitamin D be possibly related to COVID? And it turns out that there is actually some evidence that suggests that vitamin D may be related to COVID, both the, the chances of getting COVID and also your outcomes of COVID. Now, a lot of that research is still being played out, but let me, let me kind of get into what vitamin D is. So vitamin D is actually a pro-hormone. Okay, so what that means is that it activates other things in the human body. And there are different forms of vitamin D. There is vitamin D25, there's 125, and there's many other forms that are inactive. But essentially, when we go and get our blood test, what we're looking at is the vitamin D25 hydroxylate. Okay, that's, that's what we are looking at in the blood. And that's the active form. And it's very complicated. It turns out that vitamin D, the pathway starts in the skin. So when the sunlight hits the skin, it activates uh, a part of the hormone that then goes into the bloodstream, that then goes to the liver, and then there it goes to the kidney. So it's very complicated. But just know that vitamin D is very important. And it's a hormone. So it's not just a vitamin, because you know it's obvious it's vitamin D, but it's also a hormone. And it turns out that vitamin D has a lot of, of, you know, has a lot of physiological uses in the human body. The obvious one is that vitamin D regulates calcium metabolism. So in order to reabsorb calcium, we need vitamin D, which is why if people do not have vitamin D, you get what's called rickets. And rickets is commonly a, a disease of childhood. But in adults, you can get what's called osteomalacia which is, you know, when you have a severely low vitamin D level, you can actually have brittle bones. So vitamin D is very, very important for bone health. It's also very important for the immune system. And like I was just telling you in the beginning, there is definitely a link between vitamin D and infections because it does help with the immune system. Interesting. Vitamin D is also, yeah. Vitamin yeah. D is also very important in cardiovascular health. So we're, we're actually learning more and more that vitamin D levels correlate with cardiovascular mortality. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the link is not, the mechanism is not 100% sorted out yet, but it probably has something to do with 
the me- the metabolism of lipids. Okay, because vitamin D is a is a fat soluble lipid. I mean, fat soluble hormone. Um, so those are some of the things that I can think of. The other one that I just thought of is is neuro neurodegenerative disorders, mm-hmm. such as um, multiple sclerosis and others. So there are, as you know, people who have MS they tend to have low vitamin D levels, and p- people with high vitamin D they tend to be they tend to not get affected by these disorders such as autoimmune diseases. So vitamin D, the point is, is very, very, very important. Now, yeah, let me yeah. just say something there. So um, the first thing I want to say, yeah, just in regards to multiple sclerosis, for, for those that don't know what that is, like Joe says, an autoimmune disease affects the nerves in your body. The myelin sheath, which is a, um, myelin is like a surrounding, it surrounds basically your nerves. It's like a, it allows for the nerve to conduct easier um and yeah there's been there's been studies that show that people who live closer to the equator that are less likely to develop multiple sclerosis as opposed to people who live farther from the equator and that's why it's a lot more common to see individuals who live in italy england um in in that area to have uh, more multiple sclerosis so that's interesting with the correlation between vitamin D and multiple sclerosis. I didn't know the one about cardiovascular. Uh, and I think that's important because cardiovascular disease is one of the main causes of death. So I think vitamin D has become very common to say, you know what? Oh, it's low. It's whatever. It's like not a big deal. And a lot of physicians, they won't even mention to their patients that it's low. And I remember um, I was talking to to one of my colleagues and his vitamin D, he had no idea that his vitamin D was very low. I think it was like seven. And Joe, just remind us what's normal. Okay, so first of all, uh, I will say that, yeah, most physicians, they still to this day do not care at all about vitamin D. And... It's not a good thing because, like I said, vitamin D is very important for so many things. But just to give you guys the normal ranges, so anything above 30 is considered normal. However, in my eyes, I would like it above 50, Mm -hmm. okay? But anything that's less than 30, so if you're between 20 and 30, you're considered insufficient. And if you're less than 20, it's it's called you're deficient. So, I mean, seven, that's so that's too low. Yeah. I mean, that is crazy. And, low. and never got a phone call from his doctor. Never was told you have to increase it. And he shows me his nails and he's like, you know, what could this be? He starts showing me like the skin and the nails and there were like little marks on it. And um, for those of you who don't know, I, I'm certified in, in Aster, ASTR, Advanced Soft Tissue Release. It's a whole biopsychosocial holistic approach to treating and um, physical therapy. And we learned a nutrition analysis. So we learned to analyze head to toe. Um, you know, we're looking for deficiencies. We're looking for hair, hair loss. We're looking for hair growth. We're looking for um, under the eyelid for anemia. We're looking for certain things that show up on the tongue. We're looking for the teeth. We're looking for nail beds. We're looking for skin color. So these are things that can indicate deficiencies in nutrients. And Vitamin D is so important for, for overall health and you, you can see deficiencies in it, in your body and your skin, right, Joe? Yeah. Well, it also goes back to, to the calcium because if, again, remember Mm -hmm. if your vitamin D is low, then you can't absorb calcium. 
and your nails and your skin and your collagen is made from calcium. Yeah. So that makes sense. It's crazy how they didn't even tell them anything. So yeah, definitely. Uh, Not vitamin surprised. D is very important. Yeah. We can't just yeah. say, oh, it's slow because, you know, it's 2022 and everyone's indoors and, you know, we're not getting sunlight. No, you you got to supplement. So let's talk about supplements. What what do you recommend, Joseph, and how much should people be supplementing? Yeah, I just wanted to say one more thing before I answer that question. Um, something else to keep in mind with vitamin D is although, although we spend most time indoors because... Our society is mainly indoors now. If your vitamin D is less than 10, I would start suspect, suspecting something else is going on, such as a malabsorption. Because if your vitamin, remember, your vitamin D has to be, it has to go through the, the gut. So if you're not absorbing vitamin D, and if your level is less than 10, I may start working you up for celiac disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, you know, um, Something's going on because it's it, it's not normal for it to be that low. Normally, a normal person who doesn't spend time outdoors, I would expect it to be like 15, 20, 25. But 7, that tells me there's something else going on there. So always keep that in mind. If your vitamin D is that low, I would urge your, your doctor to do a workout for malabsorption. Mm -hmm. But I would say that, in my opinion, there really is no no limit to the amount of vitamin D you can take. Uh, in fact, there are studies that show that you, you can take up to 10,000 units a day, 10,000 international units a day of vitamin D, and it doesn't cause any side effects. Mm -hmm. Now, typically I recommend anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 IU per day. That seems to be a good target. Um, and let me, let me explain a little bit of how you would follow up with this. So let's say your vitamin D level was 20. You just had your blood work checked. Now, in addition to being outside, which is the best way to get vitamin D, um, I would recommend a 2000 international unit tablet. So every, every thousand of units that you go up, your vitamin D goes up by one. Okay. So if you take 2000 units every single day, that means that we expect your vitamin D level to go up by two. Mm -hmm. Okay. For, but it, it depends on how, how long you take it. So, and then we will recheck it again in about three months. So it takes about three months to, 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 to reflect. And there's different types of vitamin D's out there, guys. If you're going to go to the pharmacy, please make sure it's D3 because that's a bioactive form. It, it is not D2. Please do not take D2 because your body will not absorb it correctly. It has to be D3. That's the most bioavailable. So just to summarize, it would be vitamin D3, anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 international units per day. You can take it with a glass of water, food, doesn't matter. And I would repeat the test in about three months. Okay, very good. So the last, I would say, the last six months or so, I've been taking Athletic Greens, AG1, which is a, a supplement for vitamin D. It's uh, vitamin D3 and K2 combination. And my vitamin D went up. And it's still a little bit low. I don't think I'm taking enough of that titrate. But it went up to, let's check here. It went up to 28. 
So I went from 19 to 28. And I haven't been taking the vitamin D uh, for that long either. So I, I suspect it should still it would still go up, but I may not be taking the appropriate dose. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I was worried that I would be taking too much, so I was actually just doing one drop. So it's good to know. Um, all right, so I think that's good with vitamin D. We know the importance of it. And we're going to move on to the rest of my blood work. Um, so if, for you guys who didn't see the screen, I will share it again. So we can see um, my blood work there from two years ago. Again, this is 2020. This is Quest Diagnostics. And uh, we'll take it from there. All right, so there we go. Vitamin D, 25-OH total, 19. And uh, after I show all the results from last year, I will show the results from of it from two years ago. I'll show the results of this year, and then we'll compare. But take my word for it for now. It is 20, 28. Okay. Anything else on uh, vitamin D, Joseph? No, I think, I guess one more thing would be vitamin D is lowest in March and highest in September because it has to do with the seasons. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, so let's move on here. Let's talk about the comprehensive metabolic panel. So the comprehensive metabolic panel includes things like glucose, the urea nitrogen or bun, creatinine, EGFR for non-African Americans, EGFR for African Americans, sodium, potassium, chloride, carbon dioxide, calcium, protein, albumin, globulin, albumin slash globulin ratio, and many more that we will be discussing. So Joe, let's uh, review these results as a physician and you see this, what are you thinking? Yeah, so this is a test that I will definitely get every single year. Okay, on everybody, everybody should be getting a comprehensive metabolic panel. And this test essentially looks at your liver function and it looks at your electrolytes and your glucose. Mm -hmm. So as we can see here, the glucose level was 89, which is a very good, I would say a very good number. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something to, to keep in mind is that some of these reference ranges, they, they value, they range by, by lab. So different labs have different ranges. But for the most part, you know, they're pretty consistent. So I would say a glucose of 89 is pretty good. Uh, again, you always want to make sure that this is fasting or not fasting because if it's, not, if it's fasting, then this is normal. It should be between 80 and 100. Uh, if the person had just eaten, then, you know, it depends. It should be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if it is fasting, glucose of 89 is very good. The okay. BUN... Mm -hmm. It's basically a marker of, of nitrogen metabolism and, and protein and protein break, breakdown. So the, the bun, also known as urea nitrogen, is something that is, is the byproduct of, of amino acid metabolism. So every, every time we eat protein in a form of, your body sees it as amino acids, it breaks it down, and then your kidneys secrete it. Now, BUN is actually very important because it's a marker of two things. One is your hydration status so that every as your BUN goes up it, it tells me that you're you're not hydrating enough and number two it, it tells me how much essentially how much protein you're intaking um 
all the, all the things this is this is you know as an aside sometimes when people are having upper gi bleeding the bun goes up because because the blood is being digested in the in in the in the in the in the gut and then it's excreted so that's something this is something interesting to keep to keep note of if the bun is very high may you may consider an upper gi bleed but it's it's typically hydration status and and, pro, and protein and protein breakdown mm-hmm. Creatinine is is um, a marker of a proxy of kidney function. It's not a perfect test, okay? And you know, a creatinine. This is this is this is very very important, guys. When you guys get a creatinine test, you have to make sure that, especially if you're a provider or somebody else listening out there, you have to know, you have to have some context because a creatinine of one or one point one or one point two isn't always a bad thing. Again, if the creatinine is a is a breakdown is a byproduct of muscle breakdown, and if you have so if you're somebody who's very big and bulky and you and you lift weights, then your creatinine is going to be a little bit higher than normal. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have kidney failure. Okay, like I just said, it's not the perfect test for 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 kidney function. So just keep that in mind. Creatinine is 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 a is a proxy for kidney function. It's not the perfect test. And, and as you can see here, it's 0.92, which is very good. Then you're going to get two things called EGFR, which stands for estimated glomerular filtration rate. This is basically how well your kidneys are filtering blood. And the labs always give two values, African-American, non-African-American. The, the reason they do this is because African-Americans, they tend to have more muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So because they have more muscle mass, their creatinine tends to be a little bit higher. So there's actually a formula that they use that they use to, to calculate this. It's very complicated, but basically just know that it, it, it depends on how much muscle mass you have. Now, let's move on to sodium, which is very important. And guys, stay tuned because mm-hmm. we're going to do a very interesting talk on sodium this week. Salt. We're going to talk all about salt, your, the, you know, what's, you know, what studies showed about high blood pressure. So this is going to be a very good one. Stay tuned. But basically, sodium is uh, is a mineral that's very tightly regulated in the human body. Um, it has to be very, very tightly regulated because if this so if this mineral goes too high, it could be devastating. It could cause seizures. Um, it's not good. And also the same if it's too low, the same thing. Now his was perfect. It's one thirty-seven. Yes. No issues there. I w- wouldn't expect anything to be off um potassium this one this is this is you don't want to mess with the potassium guys potassium if too low is deadly it could cause muscle cramps and other things if it's too high you can actually go into cardiac arrest Mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately in the hospital i have seen patients with potassiums of seven eight ten could they go into cardiac arrest they don't survive and we typically see that in End-stage renal disease patients, heart failure patients. Now, you know, Sam's was normal, five. We wouldn't expect anything with him. He has no issues. That's right. something that has to be checked at least once a year. Chloride is is just another, it's another ion that's checked in the blood. Almost never, it's almost never off. Sometimes, though, chloride can be either high or low, especially if somebody had just vomited or diarrhea, especially. Those numbers can go up and down, but generally that's normal. Carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide 
is actually a bi it's actually bicarbonate that they're measuring here. It's actually not carbon dioxide. And <clears throat> carbon that dioxide kind of on the is end actually, right? Not really. I mean, 30... it's 20 to 32, 30. This that's pretty normal. Okay. Just something to keep in mind, guys, when you guys get blood work, um unfortunately, sometimes the blood is left outside for very long. And sometimes the 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 blood starts to spill out bicarb and acid. So sometimes the bicarb can be artificial artificially too high. And that, that just means that the that the blood was left out too long. So don't be alarmed if that happens. Calcium, as we can see here, is 9.5. That's a very important mineral, super important again for muscle function. Um you know, homeostasis, it's, so, it's very important. You need this for everything. That is also very tightly regulated by the parathyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. And his is normal, 9.5. Total protein, this is, this is just a marker of how much protein is in your bloodstream. This becomes very important if somebody has liver disease or if somebody has something, something called multiple myeloma because those are the disorders where you make too much protein. Again, here it was normal. Albumin is a protein that is made in the liver. And if you guys didn't know, most things bind to albumin in the bloodstream. So like drugs, medications, prescribed medications, they're mainly bound to albumin. Calcium is bound to albumin. So albumin is very important. We typically see issues with this with liver disease patients. But again, SAMS is perfect. Globulin is a type of protein again almost never off unless you have multiple myeloma or some sort of um issue with your bone marrow and albumin to uh, albumin to globulin ratio I, 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 i'll admit i've never used that so honestly i don't even know why they put that in, in the in the in the panel <laughs> these are my two questions so the first is why uh why don't they check for magnesium that's a good question sam so i have no idea um, it turns out, and we'll get this at the end, uh, magnesium is something that is so important to our health. It's, it's a mineral that is, again, very tightly regulated. It's responsible for so many processes in our body, like muscle function, um, brain health. If magnesium is too low, I mean, it could present with migraines, insomnia, muscle cramps, anxiety, I mean, you name it, high blood pressure. So I have no idea why it's not checked. Um, I, you know, they, they check globulin, but they don't check magnesium. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. So I always recommend magnesium checked at least once a year. And then the, uh, the calcium. So if, if somebody was osteoporotic or had osteopenia, which is a weakening of the bone, osteopenia, and then osteoporosis is the more severe form of osteopenia, so osteoporosis is actually uh, having porous bones. Would would this would this calcium test um, be of any value? No, not, not at right. all. Because when some when somebody has osteoporosis, it has nothing to do with the calcium level. Mm -hmm. So osteoporosis is is has everything to do with the osteoblasts. Those are the cells, right? There's osteoblasts and bone. osteoclasts. Right. Yeah, they make bone. Mm -hmm. So that has nothing to do with calcium. It's actually mm -hmm. Just so you guys know, the, the major risk factor for developing osteoporosis is vitamin D deficiency. It's not mm -hmm. calcium deficiency. So wow. just keep that in mind. And it's crazy because 
you know, I work in a geriatric setting and a lot of my patients, if not all, most of them have some kind of osteopenia or osteoporosis. And given that many doctors don't put importance on vitamin D, I mean, that's, that's pretty scary, you know? So yeah, I always recommend my patients to, to, to ask their doctor for vitamin D tests um, and other tests. So let's, let's move on here. So the next portion of the, uh, the lab results will be, uh, well, here we have bilirubin. Oh, we missed, we missed, we missed a couple. So there, let me yeah. just finish it up. Let me just finish up the CMP. So bilirubin is a very important molecule. Um, it's made in the bile, in the gallbladder, sorry, in the liver, but it's, it's metabolized in the gallbladder. So it's very important. Um, you, you don't want the bilirubin to be high guys. Uh, if, if bilirubin is high, then we start thinking about liver disease, bile duct disease, gallbladder disease, like gall, gallstones. There's, there's two types of bilirubin, direct and indirect. Um, it's also a byproduct of red blood cell metabolism. So every, when, our, when our red blood cells break down, it becomes bilirubin. So that's what's, that's what's showing up here. So if you have a condition such as sickle cell anemia or something that's you're breaking down a lot of red blood cells, your, your bilirubin is going to be high. So always make note of that. Again, here it's normal. Alkaline phosphatase, it's, a, it's, a, it's an enzyme that is made in the liver. Again, if that's high, it means there's something going on in the liver. Usually it's something obstructive. So like a gallstone or something that's pressing on a duct that would call alkphos to be high. AST, ALT. Okay, let me talk about this. So these two blood tests, they're so important because they tell you what your risk is for fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. So this is, if you, if you guys haven't watched my video already, I made a video this week on fatty liver disease and I clearly explained what the risk factors were. And these two tests, the AST, ALT, if, if you, if your blood tests are a little bit high in terms of AST, ALT, you probably have fatty liver disease. And by high, I Wait, mean 30, 40, 50. Like within the, you're saying within the actual reference range? No, no, above, a little bit higher. A little bit higher. A little bit higher, yeah. yeah. So the way, the way that internists like to think about the LFTs, we call it, liver function tests, is that we, we, we have different patterns, okay? So if we just see an ASD, ALT mild elevation, it's fatty liver disease until proven otherwise. Yeah. Especially if it's 40, 50, or 60. If your ASD ALC is in the thousands, I already know that it's probably hepatitis. It's probably hep A, hep B, acute hepatitis. You probably are in liver failure. You're, you probably, you might even have um, shock liver from heart failure. Your liver's not getting enough blood from the heart. That's when the, those two would be in the thousands. But when it's this, when it's only like 30, 40, 50, it's, it's likely fatty liver disease. Yeah. So guys, please make sure that you guys check your LFTs, especially the AST and ALT at least once a year. Now, if you're a if you're an 18-year-old athlete or a 20-year-old powerlifter or you know, you're lifting weights at the gym, um you're doing hypertrophy training, strength training and you take protein like whey protein, um is this of concern, Joseph, when it comes to liver function tests? Because I remember one time when I was doing powerlifting, I was taking supplements um, such as whey protein. And when I took my, when I had my blood drawn, my doctor asked me, oh, are you taking any supplements? 
And I answered no, because at the time I thought supplements were like pills, like, you know, in the pill form. I didn't think whey protein could be a supplement and can affect my lab values. And then when I went home, it just hit me. And I was like, wait, I am taking whey protein every single day. And my liver function test, there was one value that was was off. So for the 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, you know, young athlete, trainer, uh, you know, who works out all the time, takes protein, looking to build some muscle, you know, should they be concerned when it comes to liver function tests and their overall liver health? I mean, I would say yes and no. So obviously, every any medication that you take, including supplements, it's going to be metabolized either in the liver or the kidney. So, you know, it makes sense that if you take a supplement that it may affect the liver, um, not everybody is affected by it. I would, I would, I would get blood work. You know, if you're going to start taking a supplement, I would probably get a baseline blood test Mm -hmm. to see where you are, where you are. But I mean, it depends. I mean, some people take it, they don't have anything. Um, but it could, it could, it could affect, it could, yeah, that's the that's the that's the mm-hmm. easy answer. All right. So for those of you who have stayed with us throughout this podcast so far, the the best is yet in store. So we're going to be talking about LDL. We're going to be talking about cholesterol. We're going to be talking about triglycerides. And I know all of you are curious to know what my LDLs are, given that for four months I've been on a low carb, modified carnivore diet, a diet consisting predominantly of grass fed, grass finished meats. Um, ribeye steaks, um, all grass-fed, grass-finished, eggs, um, you know, no dairy, no very, very little carbohydrates. So I, no rice, um, no potatoes, um, pretty much no vegetables. Uh, but so most of my carbohydrate intake was from, or still is, I'm, I'm still on this diet, is from fruit, fruit consisting of mangoes, papayas, avocados strawberries raspberries blueberries some kiwis maybe some oranges here and there um but mostly mango and papaya and um yeah i've been feeling amazing on this diet i feel so much better than i felt two years ago as you guys are going to continue to see in terms of the comparison of the lab values so you know let's uh let's keep moving on here we're going to discuss our lipid uh, my lipid panel and uh this one's going to be from two years ago so let's share the screen again and we'll uh, talk about my lipid panel from 2020. All right. Okay, so this is my lipid panel from 2020. Again, Quest Diagnostics. Dr. Joseph, let's review my lipid panel. Yeah, so as, uh, as you guys can see here, this is a very, very, very basic lipid panel uh, where you're, you're going to get your cholesterol, the total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, triglycerides, and the LDL cholesterol. So the total cholesterol is 156 here, which is considered normal. And just so you guys know, these reference ranges, they keep changing every year. So it turns out that now you know, in the year 2022, a normal reference range for cholesterol is less than 200. But 30 years ago, it was actually higher. It was actually 220 and 240. So, you know, the guidelines have been, you know, they've been changing ever, ever, ever since. And the reference ranges, they keep getting less and less. 
So just keep that in mind. And total cholesterol is basically it's measuring all of your cholesterol in your body. But you guys have to understand how they're, how they're actually measuring these tests. So the first thing is that it's not 100% accurate. Um, the, when, when, they're, when they're putting these measurements here, they're talking about the part, the, the, how much cholesterol you have inside the particles. But they're, they're, not, they're not counting the particle number or the sizes or anything. So uh, the first thing I'll say before I continue is this is actually an incomplete lipid panel, guys. When you guys go to the physician in the year 2022, it is not enough just to get a standard lipid panel. Okay. In Europe and in Canada, they've been doing, they've been doing much more in-depth lipid panels for years now. And I'm not quite sure why in the U.S. we haven't caught up yet. But there are three tests that I would get at every single lipid panel. So one is, yeah, okay, your lipid panel, but also you need an ApoB. What is that? ApoB is so important, guys. ApoB is apolipoprotein B. This is, a, this is basically a protein that's bound to the LDL, to the LDL cholesterol. Okay. I'm going to pull up a and visual so, so you guys can see uh, the LDL particle. Like Joe mentioned, low-density lipoprotein cholesterol particle. Um, so you guys can get a visual of, of what that actually looks like. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead, Joseph. Keep talking. I'll uh, pull it up. Yeah, so ba basically, I, I can't make any conclusions just based on a lipid panel anymore because it's not incomplete. It's not complete. Um, I need a I need an ApoB number, and ApoB is basically your your the number of non HDL particles in your bloodstream. Okay, so what that means is an ApoB will tell me how much bad cholesterol you have in your body. And it's much more accurate than LDLC, which is what you're seeing in the lipid panel. When you guys go to the, to the doc and he order, they order an LDL, that's actually not your real LDL. That's a calculated LDL. And they use different formulas and equations based on different labs, but it's not actually accurate. Um, ApoB is the most accurate. And this is why, again, I, I'm not quite sure why no one is checking ApoB. ApoB. Um, I know it's something most of you have not heard of, but it is actually the it's becoming the gold standard around the world. And I personally, I check that on all my patients, mm -hmm. ApoB, once a year. Um, so have you, as you guys can see here, this is a schematic of a lipoprotein. Oh yeah, let me just tell you guys something before this gets complicated. So uh, we have... What's called? You guys know what cholesterol is. Cholesterol is, is cholesterol. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a molecule that we need to to make hormones and building blocks. It's not all bad, guys. Don't don't. Oh yeah. Near cholesterol. Not it's not. Oh, cholesterol is bad. But avoid it at all costs. Yeah. So the thing is that these lipids. When I say lipids, I'm referring to cholesterol. They need to trans. They need to be transported in the bloodstream because the blood is. It's called hydro, hydrophobic, so it doesn't right it doesn't like fat. That's why fat and oil and water don't mix, mm -hmm. because you have these these lipoproteins that, that and they carry cholesterol. Cholesterol it cannot be in the bloodstream. It needs to be transported in what's called a lipoprotein, and that's what you guys are seeing here. That's a sphere. That's a that's a lipoprotein, and inside the lipoprotein is where the cholesterol is. But it turns out that it's not just cholesterol that's in the lipoprotein. You also have triglycerides and you have 
apoB B. There we go. See apoB protein. So that that's the one I'm talking about. ApoB B. ApoB lipoprotein. It almost B. looks like a receptor. Yeah, it's a little protein that hangs out, and it's a it's a proxy. Okay. So uh, the analogy I give is when you guys check your hemoglobin A1C, that tells you how what your average three sugars have been for three months. The apoB B is basically the equivalent to the LDL. It tells you how much LDL is actually in your body. And again, it's way more accurate than LDLC. So with that in mind, um, mm -hmm. you know, I would, I would just go back to the, yeah. to the original one. Go back to my blood work here. Okay, so, so yeah, you guys are seeing total cholesterol 156, which is considered normal. HDL is high-density lipoprotein. So this is classically considered the good cholesterol. Good cholesterol. Guy, I want you guys to take that out of your heads, okay? There is no such thing as good or bad cholesterol. Cholesterol is cholesterol. What exactly is HDL? So cholesterol is actually made in the liver, Okay, that's where cholesterol is made. And just so you guys know, our bodies, they make most of the cholesterol. Most of the 99% of the cholesterol is not coming from the diet. It is all only made in the liver. So when you guys hear this crap of, oh, eating eggs increases your cholesterol. I, I, honestly, I would walk up and leave the room because everybody knows at this point that eggs do not raise cholesterol. No, and you guys will see I mean, my blood work recently. I've been eating like three eggs every single day. Yeah, so you'll see my triglycerides yeah. and cholesterol. And if you haven't so, checked out that episode on eggs and cholesterol, uh, we debunk mm -hmm. medical myths, check that episode out on our podcast. Yeah, and we're going to do an episode on lipids in, in the near future, but just know that your, your liver creates cholesterol and your cholesterol has to be transported around the body. Because like I said, everything is made from cholesterol, your cell membranes, your hormones. So cholesterol, it needs to be able to get everywhere around the bloodstream. Think of the bloodstream as a highway and think of the lipoproteins as the cars and think of the cholesterol inside the lipoprotein as the passengers. Mm. Okay. So that's the analogy that I would give. And so with that in mind, HDL is the cholesterol that's returning to the liver. Mm -hmm. All right, LDL is the, is, is the cholesterol that's leaving the liver and going to the cells. So, you know, yeah, is it good to have high HDL? Yeah, but what, what have studies shown? Studies have shown consistently that people who have high HDL, they don't really have lower rates of heart disease. And this has been shown over and over again. And in fact, a lot of a lot of studies have they've their goal was to increase HDL through drugs, and those studies have all failed consistently. So increasing HDL, you know, it's a good thing, but it's not really going to prevent heart disease. So, but Sam's at that at this time was forty, which I think is fine. Honestly, I honestly don't really care about HDL anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I care. I I actually care much more about HDL in terms of insulin resistance. Yeah which I'll get to in a second. So his triglycerides are 96. Okay, guys, triglycerides are, for me, the most important thing because 
This is actually a reflection of your carbohydrate carbohydrate metabolism. If your triglycerides are nice and low, then it tells me that you're very insulin sensitive, that you're not pro that you're eating healthy foods, you're exercising. It's if your triglycerides are above 150, your risk of heart disease goes up many fold. So triglycerides are extremely important. I honestly, guys, I'll tell you this. I care more about triglycerides than total cholesterol because study after study after, stu after study has shown that triglycerides is actually one of the risk, one of the very important risk factors for heart disease. So, and le so let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that before we move on heart disease and, and cardiovascular health. So when it comes to like a heart attack, right? A heart attack essentially is a lack of blood flow resulting in a lack of oxygen and nourishment to the heart muscle, right? So guys, the heart is a muscle, it's cardiac muscle. So when we don't get enough oxygen and nutrients to the heart, the heart becomes ischemic. Ischemia means lack of uh, oxygen. And that is what causes the pain, that is what causes the heart attack, and that is what causes loss of heart tissue. And what the main cause of ischemia is plaque buildup or something called atherosclerosis. So atherosclerosis is that hardening of the arterial wall, which causes, you know, because of many reasons, because of blood pressure, because et cetera. So Joseph, is what you're saying that the triglycerides is what causes the plaque buildup, which in turn causes the cardiovascular disease? No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I guess I'll just get into it now. So why do we even care about these things, guys? Why do we care about cholesterol, triglyceride, LDL? What's the whole point? The point is because we're trying to risk stratify your risk for developing coronary artery disease and stroke. That's the whole point of, of, of measuring these tests, right? Like we're not, we're not just checking cholesterol for the heck of it. Mm. Oh, your cholesterol is high. Who cares? Yeah. What, like really, like if it doesn't cause anything, well, who cares? The point is that, you know, especially cholesterol, um, in the early fifties, they found an association between cholesterol, heart disease. All that crap has been debunked at this point. We all know that. If, if you guys haven't already watched our video on eggs debunked, please watch that one. Because, you know, people still still believe this lie. That your total cholesterol is related to your heart attack risk. And it's not. It has nothing to do with your heart attack risk. But what really causes heart disease? So heart disease is caused by a process that Sam was mentioning called atherosclerosis. What is atherosclerosis? Atherosclerosis is hardening or plaque formation of the arterial wall. So what, 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 what causes this to happen? Okay. A couple things. The number one for me is blood pressure. So a high blood pressure, you're going to constantly, constantly be damaged the arterial wall all the time. Imagine if your if your blood vessels are constantly be exposed to high blood pressure for years, that's going to start to damage the arterial wall. And then that's going to make it, that's going to make a plaque formation easier to start. So blood pressure. The second is very important is actually insulin resistance. Okay. So insulin resistance or high insulin levels damages the arterial wall. And the reason it does this is because, because glucose goes up and it damages the arterial wall, but insulin also does the same. So triglycerides, this triglycerides caused 
atherosclerosis, not directly. It does it indirectly because if triglycerides are too high, that means that your insulin is probably also high. And it's, it's a reflection of your insulin metabolism. Okay. So if you guys are eating a diet that's with a lot of carbs, processed food, processed carbs, vegetable seed oils, then your triglycerides are going to be up. So then what does that mean? That means that your insulin is high. And then what does that mean? That means that your arterial walls are being exposed to high insulin levels all the time. And that's what causes the arterial plaques. So as you guys can see here, this is a arterial wall. This is probably one of the coronary arteries that supply blood to the heart. And as you can see, this white stuff here, that's plaque, plaque formation, plaque. And that's atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis means hardening of the vessels. And it's really damaged. Like what's causing that is damage to the arterial wall. Like I said, the, the, the number, the, this is, this is, this is what causes atherosclerosis guys. It's insulin resistance, diabetes, same thing, high blood pressure, smoking, and wait, can you mention those again? Yeah. So this is for me, this is what actually causes atherosclerosis or like ca card cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Okay. Coronary artery disease. Uh -huh. It's hypertension, high blood pressure. It's insulin resistance, which is basically diabetes, right? It's smoking and lack of physical activity. And and that's it. Obesity? Those are the main ones. Obesity? Yeah, obesity, right? BMI? But that's like obesity is is a byproduct of all this stuff. What about met metabolic syndrome? Metabolic syndrome is is what I said, insulin resistance and and diabetes. It's not cholesterol, guys. Mm -hmm. Please get that out of your head. Um and I'll tell you this, LDL cholesterol, you know, it's controversial. Uh, because it's not actually well established the model of, of what actually starts the damage on the arterial wall. Some, some people think it's LDL. The LDL goes to the arterial wall and it starts the process of atherosclerosis. I don't think that's what happens. I think what happens is the arterial wall gets damaged first from either high blood pressure, inflammation, smoking, uh, high insulin levels. And then once the damage starts, LDL comes into the arterial wall like to repair, to repair the damage. Why would it repair it though? Is, is it a repair molecule? Because it turns out that LDL is part of the immune system. Ah, uh, okay. So let me, let me, let me give you guys an analogy. So let's say there's a fire and every time there's a fire, you see fire trucks. Now, do you think the fire trucks are, are, are causing the fire? What do you think, Sam? You got to mention that again, cause I was taking notes cause this is so interesting. Okay. So let, let's say, let's say that, let's say there's fi fires, right? There's fires in the house. Like like your friend, James, right? He's a firefighter. Mm -hmm. Every time that there's a fire, he has to go and put the fire out. Yeah. Okay. So do you, so every time that he goes to take a fire out, you would think, wait a second, wait, it's the firemen who are causing the fire. Because every time there's a fire, I see a fire, firefighter. Right, right. So the analogy that I would say is every time that there's a plaque, you see cholesterol mm. and LDL. Mm -hmm. It's not the LDL. The LDL is there, is there to help. It's, it's the immune system. It's being recruited and that's what's forming the, uh, it's called atheroma. The plaque is made of cholesterol because cholesterol is there to help repair that. I see. So 
A lot of cardiologists, you know, they say, oh, but I see the plaque. I see there's cholesterol. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't, but how do you know that's what started the process? It's like a chicken or the egg kind of thing. What came first? Yeah. Chicken or the egg. And it's, it's guys, insulin resistance is what's causing this. It's, it's, yeah. it's vegetable seed oils. It's inflammatory diets filled with omega-6. Yes. It's filled, filled with sugars and processed foods and smoking and, and high blood pressure. And not just smoking cigarettes. Like I'm sure vaping isn't good either. For those of oh, you no. who vape and think, oh, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I vape, it's fine. No. It's same thing. Smoke is smoke. You're going to damage your arteries. You're going to damage your lungs. Your heart's your heart is right next to your lungs, connected to your lungs. You need both. You need your lungs to have a healthy heart. So uh, yeah, like that's 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 so interesting. I never learned that LDL was part of the immune system. So, but yeah. I did. I do remember learning about macrophages, and macrophages are also part of the immune system, and calcium, and how that also is part of the plaque buildup. So, can you explain that a little bit? It is. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically it. So if you guys, I mean, maybe Sam can pull up yeah. uh, the stages of atherosclerosis while I, while I explain yeah. this. There's different stages of atherosclerosis and actually atherosclerosis starts in teenagers. So already right off the bat, when we're teenagers, we, we already have streaks of atheromas in our arteries. So it, the process starts very early and the first stage is, 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 is that the artery starts being damaged and they start recruiting immune cells, one of them called macrophages. And those macrophages, they form foam cells. Mm. And those foam cells then recruit LDL cholesterol. So again, guys, I, 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 you know, I don't know how else to put this, but it's not, it's not, it's not the cholesterol that's causing this. It's, it, that's just a byproduct. Again, I'm not saying that LDL, you don't want the LDL to be super high because that's also not good. You know, especially in the setting of um, insulin resistance, you know, it's, it's not good. So, so, can, so if we have here. a high LDL level and the person is cardiovascularly healthy and let's say they get that test, you recommend the, the calcium, the cardiac calcium score. Is that what it is? Yeah. The scan. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and their plaque, their plaque is normal. Let's say they're pristine. They have a pristine heart. Everything else is good. There's no plaque buildup in the heart. But what if the patient has high LDL? Does that tell you that maybe they're fighting off an, uh, an infection or have some kind of immune system issue or autoimmune disease? No, honestly, okay. So let's say, I'm, I'm gonna give two scenarios. Let's say that you have two people. One is, let's just say they're, one is 45, the other is 45. One of them is super healthy. Uh, they're insulin sensitive, they exercise. They, they eat a whole foods diet and their LDL is 140. Okay. Let the other guy is smoking, eating like crap, not exercising, eating vegetable seed oils and McDonald's every day. That guy has an LDL of 140. Do you think I would treat both of them as the same? No, no. I wouldn't. Completely different. I mean, it's obvious. You don't have to be a doctor to know that. The LDLs are completely different, even though they're in different, I mean, the LDL number is the same, but it's a completely different situation. And I can bet you if I did a coronary artery scan on the first guy, he probably wouldn't have any plaque in his arteries. It would say zero plaque, but the other guy would probably have plaque. So what does that tell you? It tells you that LDL is not that important when it comes in terms of atherosclerosis. And the other thing that we, 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 we've seen in studies 
is that most people who have heart attacks, they have normal, normal cholesterol levels, mm -hmm. completely normal. So how do you explain that? Because, because it has nothing to do with it. And the thing is most, like I said, in a previous episode, in one of our podcasts, most people are insulin resistant and don't even know it. And that's what's causing heart disease. It's, it's high insulin levels, high glucose levels. That's what's damaging the arterial wall, undiagnosed hypertension. Um, so guys, you know, just make sure that you're checking your, 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 your fasting insulin, which we, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but it's very important to get a fasting insulin level because, you know, to be honest, we're living in, in an era of insulin resistance. This is the insulin resistance era. Everything is, most diseases are caused from, by insulin resistance, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disease, high blood pressure, heart attacks, stroke, erectile dysfunction, fatty liver disease. It's all insulin resistance. Yeah. And all of this is from our diets. We, we have to, we have to really look into our diets and we're, we're going to do more episodes in the future. You guys can refer to our old episodes where we talk about vegetable seed oils. We talk about so many things and yeah, again, it's up to you. You, you know, there's no pill that's going to fix this. So is there, you know, before you explain the, the figure here on the, on the screen, the atherosclerosis steps, is there, do you know if LDL is, can penetrate through the blood brain barrier? I know that's a specific question. I don't expect you to know that. Probably, probably can. Probably can. Because I mean, we see we see it in 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 the arterial in the brains of people. We do who have who have strokes. Yeah. Yeah, because we were talking about heart attacks, but what about strokes? Is it the same kind of um, it's same. pathogenesis? It's the same. It's the same. Exactly the same. All right. It's the same. All right. So yeah, there's a there's a there's an image here on the screen on the uh, screen here. Um, explain the uh, the stages of atherosclerosis. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty complicated visual, but, you know, if, if as you can see on the left-hand side, you have inflammation. So that's an artery. You have a bunch of... Yeah, this is an artery. It's an artery. And blood vessel. you have inflammation. You have all these things that, as you go to the right, from left to right, you start seeing that the plaque is getting bigger and bigger. And basically, just to sum it up, it's the immune system that is basically recruiting all of these molecules, like calcium... Uh, myeloperoxidase, you know, they didn't put it here, but macrophages, LDL, cholesterol, all these things are being recruited. But again, this model is not really showing you what tipped this off. Like what did, what tipped off the inflammation to begin with? Mm -hmm. Again, hypertension, insulin resistance. Those, those are the two most common causes of atherosclerosis. And then this is the repair mechanism. Right. So remember, the artery is trying to repair itself. That's why it's forming plaques. So in the human body, anytime that something breaks, you're always going to see calcium. That's how the body repairs. So for example, when you guys cut yourself, your skin, you, that's scar tissue, that's calcium. So the same thing is happening in the artery. So that's all this is the immune system. So would it be safe to say, this may be a stretch, that heart disease is an autoimmune condition? Because I mean, your your body say that your body essentially is trying to repair itself, but by repairing itself, because of the plaque damage, because of because of the arterial damage, it's almost like an internal paper cut, an internal cut. So the the, the artery becomes damaged, and your body in in hopes to repair itself, 
it starts sending all these uh, these chemicals and LDL gets stuck there. But it's almost like attacking itself at the same time because that is what causes the plaque. So in an attempt to repair well, itself, it's causing more damage also. So, but then in that case, everything is autoimmune then. Because this is what happens all the time everywhere. Yeah. Think about it. If when you have kidney damage, when you have liver damage, when you have heart damage, it's all it's all autoimmune. The whole body's attacking it. That's why I don't believe in autoimmune. I don't like that label because that's just lazy. That that just means that we don't know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't believe that the human body would intentionally attack itself. So there's something that's causing it. Either something external, something you're not doing. Is it the microbiome? What what is it? But we'll get we'll get into that in future episodes. We're gonna do a whole episode on autoimmune disease, the microbiome, what is at the root of these of these diseases. So that's something we'll do at a later time. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the rest of the blood work. Stay with us, guys. We're gonna get to the best part soon. The LDL comparison in between my blood work from 2020, my blood work from 2022 after starting a modified low carb carnivore diet. Many people think that cholesterol is a cause of heart disease. Many people think that eating meats is bad for you. We are here to prove that it is not. And the real cause of a lot of diseases is, like Joseph said, insulin resistance. Don't fear cholesterol. Don't fear LDL or quote unquote bad cholesterol. Fear sugar. And fat. And yep. Don't, don't fear fat exactly. either. Fat is an essential macronutrient. All right. So I'm going to pull up my blood work again. And we will continue there. Alrighty. Okay, so we discussed my total cholesterol, everything normal from two years ago. LDL within normal limits, 97. And we're going to move on to the next part of the lab work. As you guys can see, the ratio cholesterol to H. DLC ratio is 3.9. Normal is anything less than 5. Um, and let's move on to iron. Yeah, I mean, this is a basic iron panel. You know, not nothing exciting here. It just measures your iron, which is normal. Your total binding capacity, which is your ability of your red blood cells to bind iron, also normal. Percent saturation, that's just another marker of iron. Uh, I, I would... This, that test, I think, is good. Uh, I would be more concerned in women because of, uh, you know, menstru menstru menstrual cycles. They, they lose a lot of blood. So that's something I would always check in, in women. But you should, all, you know, you can also check in, in men, too. Mm -hmm. All right. And let's, uh, let's just breeze through this, your analysis, really quickly. Yeah. So this is a urine analysis. Uh, I would recommend it at least once a year. This gives you different things. It gives you the color, the appearance. Specific gravity is basically the concentration of your urine. So it tells you how how much water you're drinking. So if you're specific, the higher your specific gravity, that means that the more concentrated your urine, which means that, that you have to drink more water. So in this one, your yours is pretty good. It's 1.009. That's pretty good ph that's just a marker of acidity that becomes important in people who have kidney stones there are different types of stones that can that can present at different ph's this was normal honestly this is what i care most about the glucose so 
when you have diabetes, um, you're going to start to excrete that glucose into the urine because the kidneys, they can't, there's so much glucose that the kidneys can't, they can't handle it. So they just, they just pour it out in the urine. So if you have glucose in your urine, that's not good guys. I mean, that is pretty bad and you really have to get on top of that. So glucose is very important. In this case, it was negative. Mm-hmm. Bilirubin, not that important. Negative. Ketones. So if you're on a keto diet, then you probably will have ketones. Uh, you would, you know, you're gonna get a positive test. Um, also, if you're diabetic and you're in DKA, you you'll have ketones in your urine. Blood also important. You don't want to have blood in the urine. That can that can be caused by bladder issues, kidney issues. You also don't want protein in the urine. Again, that would suggest uh, kidney disease. Nitrite and leukocyesterase. This is these are markers of urinary tract infections. Uh, very much more common in women. So you know negative here. Again, white blood cells also a marker of infection. RBCs. You would also see in if in some sort of kidney pathologies like glomerulonephrosis, nephritis, or um, you know like lupus and stuff like that squamous epithelial cells that's just you know again if there's an infection bacteria um and casts this is seen in certain kidney kidney conditions much more rare that i won't get into in this episode all right so yeah so all that was normal oh i would say one thing about the urine analysis i would have added uh, a test called the microalbumin to cranny ratio that, that is a test that looks at uh, the ratio of protein to creatinine. It's a good marker of how well your kidneys are reabsorbing protein, which is, I, I get that on all my patients every year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So everything was normal there. Um, everything was normal. Not, nothing to worry about there. Pretty simple, straightforward. Next part is the CBC, the complete blood count. Um, so let's start yeah. with white blood cells. Yeah, the CBC is basically a marker of your immune system and your bone marrow. How how well your bone marrow makes uh, different different blood counts. You know, your bl- white blood cell count is was six point seven. That's a marker of how how much you know white blood cells you have in your system, and those are involved in the fighting off infections. Um, that's you know that we could probably do a whole episode on that, but you don't want it your white blood cells to be either too low or too high because that can mean issues if it's too with, low uh, bone marrow if it's too low is that is that indicative of like hiv yeah hiv is a common one uh liver disease hepatitis c can do it certain medications can do it if it's too high then you may have an infection but you don't know what kind of infection from, yeah it's not specific it could be from smoking can also cause a high wbc mm-hmm so, okay. but it was good here. Um, RBC count, that's just the total number of red blood cells in your system. Uh, normal here. Hemoglobin, also very important. This is, you know, what's binding the oxygen and the red blood cells, also normal. Hematocrit is, is the same thing as hemoglobin, but the only difference is that it's, uh, it includes like the, the volume. That's why it's a little bit higher. MCV. This is the size of the red blood cell. So this becomes important in, dis- in iron and disorders of uh, red blood cell metabolism. 
So if you have iron deficiency anemia, MCV is going to be high. You have thalassemia. If you have sickle cell, B12 deficiency, all those things would present with MCV being off here is normal. Uh, MH, MC, MCH, MCHC, honestly, not that important. There are certain rare conditions that can cause some issues there. Um, RDW is the red blood cell with same thing. Not that important here. Platelets, this is important. Um, platelets are what you know, the the molecules that are that are used for clotting. Mm-hmm. So you you don't want your platelets to be too low or too high because if it's too low, then that could mean a bunch of issues going on, which. That could be its own talk right there, but blood disorders, you want that number to be normal. Huh? Like that would cause blood disorders, a lot of bleeding, internal bleeding. Bleeding. Yeah, bleeding. If it's too high, it's actually inflammatory. There's something going on like iron deficiency, inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the MPV, again, that's the, that's the size of your platelets, platelet size. Now, absolute neutrophils, lymphocyte, all those things that you guys see here. That's the breakdown of the WBC count that you saw at, at the top. Right. So that's the, the number of neutrophils that you have, the number of lymphocytes. All these things are just immune immune cells that you need to fight viruses, bacteria, you know, mm-hmm. but these are all normal. So no, no issues here. Awesome. And then here are some more lymphocytes, monocytes, eosinophils, yeah. basophils, again, all part of the immune system. Um, Same thing. Yeah. So... Okay, let's move on to some other stuff. So vitamin B12, guys, we've done a uh, podcast on, on this. Uh, we talked about this in the vegan podcast, the benefits and dangers of the vegan diet. Uh, vitamin B12 is very important for overall health, very important for nervous system health. So it's very important to check this whenever there's any diabetes, any diabetic neuropathy, um, neuropathy like in your hands and your feet, any nervous system conditions, very important. Also, certain types of anemia is very important to check this. So, Joe, um, let's talk a little bit about vitamin B12 uh, very quickly there. Yeah, just quickly, B12 is a, is a very important vitamin. You need this for red blood cells, like you said. Um, you know, it's also very important in terms of your immune system, um, your nervous system. So, you know, you really need to have a high B12 level because this is reflective of your n- nutritional status. Mm-hmm. Uh, vegans, they tend to be low on B12. So, you know, you just have to make sure that you're supplementing. And um, again, very important. I would check this once a year as well. Uh, I would have liked this to be a little bit higher, to be honest. Really? This is a little bit low. Yeah, I, I usually want it above 500. Huh. That's, so, I'm curious again, to see you, what it is. You were, on, you, know, you were on the standard American diet too. No, no, ago, no, no, no. So. Okay, so let's make things clear. I was not on the standard American diet. I was. I don't eat McDonald's. I wasn't eating McDonald's. I wasn't eating fast food. I saw you eating chips. I was eating chips. That, chips was my weakness. Not anymore. I've conquered it. But chips definitely uh, messed up my <clears throat> some of my values. But I'm curious to see what my B12 is now. I didn't uh, pay close attention to that, but we'll check in a little bit, in a few minutes. All right, so moving on to TSH. This is the thyroid. So looking at thyroid health, again, the thyroid gland is located near the throat. It's important in metabolism. It's important for maintaining um, normal weight and things like that. So TSH. TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone. And correct me if I'm wrong, that is the hormone that comes from the brain and stimulates the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So my value was 1.53, and the reference range is 0.4 to 4.5. So what do you think about that uh, that value? Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't we sh we wouldn't expect the, for you to have any TSH issues. So TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, is secreted from the pituitary gland in the brain, and it, it actually stimulates the release of thyroid hormone, which is T3 and T4. So I see here the T4 was checked. This is the inactive form. T3 is actually the active form of thyroid. So, you know, the TSH is important because if it's a, it's a marker of, of your, of your thyroid. So if your TSH is too high, that means that there's something that's something going on at the level of the brain or the thyroid that's affecting your thyroid hormone. So, you know, it's always important to check the TSH once a year and the T3 and T4, you know, thyroid hormone, very important in terms of metabolism. Um, also, just so you guys know, your thyroid actually controls cholesterol metabolism. So if your thyroid is off, it may affect your cholesterol numbers. Mm. So always check a thyroid, always check a vitamin D, always check a cholesterol you need to have a full panel because a lot of these things, they, 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 they relate to each other, especially the thyroid. And thyroid health is also, is, is related yeah. to, um, iodine and certain yeah, minerals iodine. and the importance of salt is very important because salt, ha uh, good salt has a lot of those trace minerals and iodine, um, and things like kosher salt is, does not contain iodine. So. Again, stay tuned for our episode on salt and the effects of salt on blood pressure and some of the common misconceptions of salt that we're going to be doing in a couple of days. So check out that podcast soon. Yeah. Um, what about hemoglobin? A1C. So, okay. This, this, is, this for me is like one of the best tests we have. So like I was telling you, the hemoglobin A1C is is whoever invented this, I mean, th this guy should have gotten a, a Nobel Peace Prize because this, this, basically this test, it looks at your, at the, at your, the sugars, the, it's called glycated sugars. So red blood cells are, are made in the bone marrow, but every 90 days, the red blood cells, they're, br they're broken down. Okay. But it turns out that these red blood cells, when they circulate in the blood, they start attaching to glucose molecules. And they're called glycated end products. So hemoglobin A1C, that's why it's called hemoglobin A1C. is because it's the sugar that's attached to the hemoglobin molecules on red blood cells. And A1C, that's, that's, the, that's actually the protein that they're looking at. And it's a, it's a marker. That's why it's, it's in percentages. So, it's, so for example, let's say your A1C was 5.1, which it is. That's telling you that 5.1% of the RBCs, meaning when you, if you look at RBC, that's the percentage that has glycated end products. And somehow they, they, they found out the ranges, you know, if it's less than 5.7, it's normal. If it's between 5.7 and 6.4, you're pre-diabetic above 6.5 diabetic. Now this, I see that a lot of providers don't do this correctly. So when you check an A1C, you need to check two other things. You need to check a fasting insulin, which was not checked here. And you need to check a glucose, a fasting glucose level, 
because you could have a normal A1C for years and have a really high insulin level and not even know it. Because remember, the, the, the pancreas makes insulin. And if you're young and healthy, but you're eating a crappy diet, you're pumping out all this insulin all the time. And your A1C is perfect because your pancreas, they're able to compensate by just pumping out more insulin. But then once you're 50, game over, your pancreas can't make more insulin. And, and then what happens? Your A1C starts to go up. And then you go, oh, oh, now you're diabetic. No, you've been you've been insulin resistant for 20 years. And you didn't even know it because <laughs> you didn't you didn't check your insulin levels. This is why I say you have to check the fasting insulin because A1C is a great test, but it's good when it when you when you when you find something. It's not it's not that helpful when it's normal. So let's say you 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 had a 5.1. What if your ins fasting insulin was 10? Yeah, that's not good. Just because your A1C was normal doesn't mean that you, your, your, your risk of diabetes is low. You basically have to be like a detective here and look at it from every angle and, yeah. and, and look at all these lab results all together as, you know, under one lens and not just as individual um, results or values. So yeah. I want to pause here and, and talk about requesting things from your doctor, right? So we just did a, a trailer video recently and one of the things that we spoke about was how... We, we, we need to take, we want, we envision on this channel, the Soto Health and Wellness, Wellness channel, we envision a future where it's a patient-centered healthcare system where people are educated and people have the tools and people are empowered um, through proper education to take matters into their own hands and be their best advocate. So when it comes to that, it's like a lot of doctors don't, don't actually request these, uh, these lab results and they don't. They don't even check for certain things. Um, so how can patients be more educated? And how can patients um, request certain tests from their doctors? So I'll tell you this. Um, you know, unfortunately, our, our healthcare system is, is a is sick care system. I, I call it sick care. It's not healthcare, And it's not, I mean, it's not the doctor's fault. You know, doctors, they're, they're hardworking. They're busy. Most of them are good people. They want to help. But the thing is, the system is not built for prevention. It's built for just to be reactive. Okay. So when you think of, when you think like that, I mean, it makes sense why none of these things are checked because it's all about just, you know, just fixing the problem and moving on to the next patient. It's not, it's not about preventing things. It's not about thinking about things deeply and carefully. And that's the problem with our healthcare system. So just know that when you go to your physician's office, nine out of 10 times, none of these things will be checked that we mentioned because they're, they're not seeing it from the lens of longevity and optimization. They're seeing it from the insurance company is not going to prove this. The, I have five patients waiting. So, you know, that this is, this is what I believe really separates us in this channel is that, you know, we're two providers who not only are, we're trained in with traditional medicine, but we know that it's all about preventing disease because prevention is much, it's always going to be better than treating something. And we're all about optimization. And, you know, I, I believe that blood work is one of the tools we have in our toolkit to, to prevent diseases. And again, if you can check a fasting, a fasting insulin level, 
you can predict your risk of diabetes years in advance or your ApoB for heart disease or so many other things that we'll talk about on, on other episodes. But this is why we're so excited, guys, because we're, we're going to be telling you guys so many things about blood tests, imaging, you know, what not to do, what to do, what to ask, what not to ask. But if I were to give you a couple of recommendations that you guys can implement right now is when you go to your physician for your next physical, please, 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 please get an ApoB. Like that's non-negotiable at this point. You have to get an ApoB. You have to get a fasting insulin level. Um, you know, there are many things, but if, if you can get those two, I mean, that's really going to help you in terms of heart disease and, and preventing, you know, serious things down the line. All right. So yeah, we're going to move on to my current blood test. So I'm going to share the screen here. My current blood test, like I said, was done a few days ago. Same, same center, Quest Diagnostics, same exact center, actually. Um, two years later, complete change in diet. Physical activity has pretty much remained similar. I guess now, you know, I've been training for the half marathon. Um, I lost some weight. I've been incorporating some more cardio. So not too much of a difference in terms of physical activity. Um, so I would say the main, the main change was my diet. Like I said, the last four months, for those of you just tuning in now, the last four months, I switched over to a low-carb, modified carnivore diet. Um, my diet consists predominantly of avocados, fruits, um, olives, things like mangoes, papaya, apples, oranges, uh, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. Those are my main carb sources. And my main protein sources are grass-fed, grass-finished beef, so ground beef, um, ribeye steaks, um, uh, you know, different types of steaks, pretty much all meat. Um, I don't eat bacon. I don't eat pork. I don't eat chicken because chicken and those animals, they don't feed them the right nutrients and food that they're intended to eat. Luckily, there are many farms that give cows the appropriate food that they are evolutionary supposed to be eating, which is grass. Um, so that's, that is what I eat. And I've done that for four months. I cut out all seed oils. So seed oils are basically canola oil, sap, uh, sunflower oil, grapeseed oil, uh, anything that's a seed. Don't cook in it. Like Joseph said earlier, it's high in omega-6. It causes inflammation in the brain, gut, everywhere. Avoid it at all costs. I also cut out chips. I cut out processed sugars, ice cream. And I'm not saying 100%, but I'm saying like 90%. So if I go out with friends or family, I'll, you know, I'll indulge on things I used to eat, but it, it's not a part of my diet. It's not a consistent part of my day-to-day -day diet. My day-to-day -day diet, like I said, consists of those things I mentioned. So without further, further ado, these are my blood tests from two or three days ago. And um, we're going to start off with vitamin D. So as you can see here, my vitamin D went up from 19 to 28. I have been supplementing with vitamin D3 and K2 titrate. So that is a, a, a good improvement on my part. Although I do want it to be higher, like Joseph said, it should be above uh, 50. So I definitely yeah. need to increase that. And the next thing we're going to take a look at here is going to be <clears throat> the glucose. Again, normal. The bun is normal. Creatinine is normal. Everything else is pretty good. Pretty consistent. Your analysis... Everything was good there. We're going to get to the, the important stuff here. Everything good on the CBC, complete blood count, normal. 
and uh, we're gonna move on. Okay, so vitamin B12. Interestingly, my vitamin B12 two years ago was 406, and my vitamin B12 now is 506. So that's awesome. That's a hundred points there at increase. That's really good. Yep. And uh, so yep. vitamin B12, right? Where do you find it? Again, you can supplement for people who are vegan. You can supplement, but supplementing is not the same because of the bioavailability. It's not the same as getting it from whole foods. Foods that are very high in vitamin B12 include eggs. Like, Make sure that eat the egg yolk. Don't throw the egg yolk out. It's not going to kill you. Um, salmon mm-hmm. and meat. Red meat is high in vitamin B12. So I'm not surprised that it went up. And I actually feel more mental clarity. I feel like I am cognitively sharper. I feel like I have less pain. And I think it's uh, in part due to vitamin B12. Moving on is uh, thyroid. Everything is normal there, pretty similar. My hemoglobin A1C um, is 5.1. And I think that is the same, right? As the last one? Yeah. Yeah. So Exactly the same. Exactly the same. But but again, we don't know what the insulin was. We don't know. So I will be. You know, I would bet that your fasting insulin is probably much lower now than two years ago. A hundred percent. It has to be. Yeah. I I don't eat processed yeah. sugars. I don't. Yeah. No, it has to be. Um. But yeah, I, I'm gonna request a test uh, next time I get blood work from uh, my doctor. I'm gonna request a fasting insulin test. All right, we're getting closer to the best part of the lab work we are gonna go to the cholesterol so guys we are here at the lipid panel so total cholesterol now is 161 it was previously 156 but if you've been listening to us we understand now that we do not fear total cholesterol it does not cause atherosclerosis and heart disease so i am not worried about a five point increase in cholesterol the second thing is hdl which is again is known to be quote unquote good cholesterol we've debunked that already there's only cholesterol there's no good or bad hdl now is 48 before it was 40 so i'm happy about that what do you think joe Okay, so I'm going to point out something here that I, I, didn't, I didn't mention before. So there's actually something very important. It's, it's the HDL to triglyceride ratio. And actually, that's a very sensitive marker of insulin sensitivity. So if you, if you see here, your HDL is 48 and your triglycerides are 41. So your ratio is like 48 divided by 41. So I'm not sure what that is, but it's better than last year. Way better. Because last year, your HDL was lower and your triglycerides were double. Double. More than double. Yeah. Yeah. They were 96. 96. So that's a, li- a little bit more than, than double. So this tells me that this, to me, tells me that your insulin sensitivity has improved because your triglycerides plummeted. Yeah. And your HDL went up. I'm so this shocked. is this is really good. I'm so shocked. So let me do the math here. Yeah. So the ratio of HDL to triglycerides now is 1.17. That's really good. And the ratio two years ago was 
So the ideal is greater than 0 0.5. Okay. So 0.5. So, okay. So that's good. This is higher. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And yeah. cholesterol ratio um, before was 3.9. And now it is 3.4. So is that good? Yeah, but that I don't... That I, I honestly don't care about because that, that doesn't really tell me anything. Mm -hmm. um, what I care about is the HDL, the triglyceride ratio, and also ApoB, which, again, wasn't checked. Um, the the non-HDL cholesterol, that's like a proxy of ApoB, but it's not it's not perfect. So, But overall, I would say this is a pretty good lipid panel. I could care less about the LDL. It says 101. Mm-hmm. I really don't care. I honestly don't care because you're insulin sensitive. That's all I care about. Yeah. Your A1C was good. Your triglycerides, your glucose, you know, 101. What am I supposed to do with that? So you want a statin? I know, right? Like, I, 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 I don't understand. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. So many statins. No more statins, guys. So, uh, yeah, uh, overall, I, I feel great on this diet. Um, you know, again, guys, this is not medical advice. If you're listening, we're not telling you to eat meat yep. all day. We're not telling you to go on these radical diets. Uh, we're not telling you what to do. This is purely informative and educational. This is a way to empower you in regards to knowledge, knowledge on complicated medical terms, knowledge on your overall health and the importance of blood work. Um, and also to empower you to talk to your doctor and request certain things that is covered by insurance. Um, it's not like, you know, yeah. we're getting all these extra tests that, you know, it's not covered. You know, these things can be ordered under the right circumstances. And let me just say something, yeah. Sam. So April B is $8, $8. Okay. Okay. A fasting insulin is pennies. Yeah. Like none of this stuff is expensive. This is this should all be if it's not covered by insurance, just pay for it. This is your health we're talking about here. Yeah. Right? Totally worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So overall, physically, mentally, I feel great. And the reason I got blood work recently is to check up on this diet I've been doing. Because I was actually starting to get a little worried, you know, you know, what if things are out of whack? You know, I need to I need to make sure that what I'm feeling externally and mentally correlates with my blood work. And the fact that it does makes me feel like this diet is for me. So again, guys, not medical advice. Um, it's just purely informative. So thank you guys all for listening to our podcast. If you like our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Soto Health and Wellness. We are also on Instagram at Soto Health and Wellness. You can find us on TikTok at Soto HWP. That's at the Soto HWP. If you like more content like this, please give us a subscribe and a like on YouTube. Listen to our podcast or send us an email at the Soto HWP at gmail.com. That's the Soto HWP at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to us with any suggestions. Or if you want to be a guest speaker on our show, we'd love to have you and discuss nutrition, human optimization, physical therapy, injury prevention, disease management and prevention, and longevity, or anything else. Um, so yeah, reach out to us, give us a like and subscribe, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the night, and be well. Take care.